Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. I'm Sonia Lorea. And we are so excited to be joining you guys a little earlier than normal on a Wednesday for episode 38. It is How Does Capitalism Affect the Way We Do Life? I'm excited about this one. Sonia, looks like you're not joining us from home this time. <laughs> no, I'm traveling and I couldn't find a spot. So I'm actually in the gym of this hotel because in the lobby, it's well, first of all, my room is no AC. They're trying to fix it. And then the oh. lobby is super loud. Uh -huh. um, like with music, like it's so, this is the wow. least distracting area. So you can see I'm in a gym. You know what? <laughs> Round of applause for you. That's called commitment. Thank you. <laughs> Literally, if you're watching us on YouTube right now, you can see the treadmill in the background, some like oh, yeah. towel things. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so thank you, Sonia, for your dedication. And I know how hard it is when you're traveling sometimes to make everything happen. So yeah. appreciate you very, very much. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. I'm here. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, before we get into it, uh, we want to thank a couple people who bought us coffees this week. Um, one of those folks bought a coffee for both of us, and that is Tim Whitney. Thank you, Tim. That's very and, sweet. Yes. Very, very sweet. And Courtney also bought me a coffee. Thank you, Courtney. Appreciate Yay. it very much. She's helped us a lot with our color scheme and logo and design and all that fun stuff. So we really appreciate her. Um, and lastly, just want to say uh, to all of you, invite you to follow us on Instagram. We're at Rethinking Humanity. Check out our website. And of course, Subscribe. if you're watching on YouTube. You yes. Should, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so you shared a really powerful article with me this week from the New York Times. It's an opinion article. Yes. Um, the article is what we are not teaching boys about being human. Mm. And it's really cool because um, I think we all know how we tend to, I mean, I, if not, we tend to put uh, our boys and girls in these stereotypes. Yeah. Gender stereotypes. And, you know, I know, and I'm a big feminist, by the way, but at the same time, we can't forget about the boys because that's what creates, you know, a lot of our issues too, is how we are giving them a narrow um, view of how they should be. Yeah. And we need, you know, men that are vulnerable and men that can talk about their emotions. And I know you believe in that, Lacey. Oh, yeah. 100% I do. I think it's amazing. I was, I read this earlier this week and I reread it just a little while ago. And it was very interesting to me as a nanny and someone who works professionally with children. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about how much, how different really the toys, the books, the things that we put in front of kids and not even we necessarily as caregivers, but the things that are available to us as caregivers, parents, what have you for each, for children and specifically for each sex or, you know, it, for the specific genders, mm -hmm. and, you know, she says in this article about, you know, her raising the boys and she went from one phase of like, um, you know, to trucks and, mm -hmm. you know, cars to the next one, which is all about superheroes and saving the day. And there wasn't a lot of room for the nuance of human connection and right. vulnerability. And, you know, uh, it's just like this all or nothing win or lose kind of thing. Right, right. Um, yeah. she, she gives a good example. And I read the book, but it was obviously a long time ago, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Oh, yeah. That sold like 250 million copies. 
But she says, you know, that her sons um, and their friends gobbled up the books because they were hungry for something that reflected their own lives. Mm. And I think that's pretty powerful. Well, I can reflect too on, you know, working with kids. I've worked in my nannying, my time nannying, I've worked a lot more with girls than I have with boys, but I have mm -hmm. worked with some boys. And it is very clear to me, that is the narrative. That's what's coming out of their mouths. Like, I'm going to save the day. And, you know, this is, we're right. going to fight and we're going to win and, you know, whatever. And yeah. I, I think it's interesting too, because literally what you can buy, what you think or what's available for you to buy as a toy for a boy Mm -hmm. And same with literature, right? For a boy or for girls are two mm -hmm. totally different things. And I didn't think about it that much until just rereading this article. It's very, very true. Right. She talks about the emotional life. This was really interesting to me is how girls are kind of set up to like be thinking about feelings and like, you know, the, the whole click thing. And boys don't get that message. They're not, it's not people focused. And so yeah. what she says is that story by story, girls are getting the message that other people's feelings are their concern and their responsibility. Hmm. Boys are learning that these things have nothing to do with them. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's a statement that, wow, sat with me. I mean, that's sad, you know, that you've got this responsibility that you're giving the girls and the boys are like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm not part of this story. Right, right. Or or just the awareness of someone else's emotions mm -hmm. and feelings. Um, you know, I think that is something that we tend to curate in girls, but we tend to ignore it, you know, in boys. Right. And so this is a very, very enlightening article for all of us to think about kind of how we're approaching, um, you know, raising our kids this is, this is such a powerful piece. I actually highlighted this and sent it to you. She says, probably because of this difference in socialization, boys score lower than girls on uh, girls of the same age on virtually all measures of empathy and social skills, a gap that grows throughout childhood and adolescence. This has implications across the board. Among first graders, social emotional ability, including the skills to form and maintain friendships, is a greater predictor of academic success than either family background or cognitive skills. Yeah. That's huge. That was, I remember that part too. That's huge. And that I will is. tell you as someone who's used to work in public education, there's a, not a whole lot that's stronger um, of a predictor of success in school and ability to learn to read ability to gain skills. Sadly, this is true than, than poverty levels. Like, you know, yeah, more further into poverty you are, the harder that is. Mm -hmm. and so I would say this is just as big of a, like, newsflash here. Like, as much as you are able to form and maintain friendships, that is the greatest predictor of academic success. We aren't arming our boys for that. Mm -hmm. and who loses at the end? All of we us. all do. We all do. Yeah, we all do. But also particularly women, because, I mean, we like to talk to men who are self-aware and, you know, emotionally. Right. And then you try to have relationships and then families. So it just perpetuates. Yes. Yes. It's amazing. Um, let's see. Let's, we've normalized the kind of workaday sub toxic masculinity, which mm -hmm. is as much about what we 
don't expose expose boys to as what we do. So anyway, it's super interesting. And I think, you know, my per- personal takeaway with this is in my work with children, I think I'll make more of an effort to like not to not categorize stories or or toys as particularly boy toys and girl toys mm-hmm. like try to bring you know in fact try to like swoop swap you know like right and be neutral whatever they gravitate towards right yes yes but no this was really really good i mean th- she starts out by saying a while back at the bookstore with my three sons i started flicking through a kids magazine that had the kind of hyper pink sparkly cover that screams boys even glancing in this direction will threaten your masculinity <laughs> that's so funny that was funny yeah so yeah super good and i mean this is a theme i think we've been it's kind of been coming up in both of our lives and then the stuff that we've been reading lately um about men's mental health basically yeah and also you can plug that you've been doing the thing on clubhouse with men's mental health right right we we've doing been doing the rethinking humanity men's mental health hour on mondays and wednesdays at noon eastern 9 a.m pacific so if you're on clubhouse we'd love to have you join us um and it's something that i can sort of host but there are other two males in there too so it's open to everybody but it's mostly about this issue right here, like mm-hmm. in needing spaces to share, knowing it's okay to share, knowing it's not like, you know, anti-masculine to like be in touch with your feelings, you know? Sure. Sure. That's important. Yes. Yes. Super important. So cool. Well, that was what we wanted to share um, with you from news this week. We are shifting into um, a section of from Eric Fromm's writing um, about how humans, man, he uses a phrase man as in like humans, um, how we are in capitalistic society. That's kind of how we got our title. How does mm-hmm. capitalism uh, affect uh, how we do life, the way we do life? And so we're going to talk a little bit about um, about that today. And I think there's some really good stuff here. Sonia, I was like, Oh my God, there's one thing I highlighted. I'm like, I'm gonna have to read that. So, okay. Yeah. 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 So anything, uh, anything you want to, to stay before, I think I might start by reading a little bit of this first paragraph. Yeah. Go ahead and read and I'll jump in. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So um, he says, mental health cannot be discussed meaningfully as an abstract quality of abstract people. If we are to discuss now the state of mental health in a contemporary Western man, um, we have to study the influence of the specific conditions of our mode of production and of our social and political organization. Uh, We have to arrive at a picture of the personality of the average man living and working under these conditions. Only if we can arrive at such a picture of what he calls the social character. Right. That's when we have a basis to judge the mental health and sanity of modern society uh, and, and the society of modern man. Yeah, I think it's important for anybody listening it, for us to define what uh, from means by the social character. Yes. And what he's saying, the social character is the nucleus of the character structure, which is shared by most members of the same culture. So that's something that you share mm-hmm. in contra- contradistinction to the individual character in which people belonging to the same culture differ from each other. 
Mm-hmm. That's a real a, a difference that he points out that's very important. So I look at that as, okay, it's what we share in the same culture as, to po- as opposed to the individual character yes. that we would have being in the same culture, but we'd have an individual character. Right. It's, it's less about what really like the minor differences and more about the major similarities mm-hmm. that we all carry in the, in the same society, in the same culture. Mm-hmm. Um, he says each society is structuralized and operates in certain ways, which are necessitated by a number of different objective conditions, which include methods of production and distribution, which in turn dis- depend on raw materials, industrial techniques, climate, size, of population, those types of things. Why is this that important, though? Well, you know, the mode of production really now is the means by which we all are able to take care of ourselves, to really just survive. And at the end of the day, as human beings, our number one priority is to survive. Now, Mm -hmm. compared to how we lived previously in hunter-gatherer societies, there wasn't a lot of, you know, energy put towards production and consumption because we just, you know, there's some nuts. Let's eat them. Great. And, and we share them. <laughs> right. But now society is a lot different. Um, right. And this actually impacts us a lot because it's completely connected to how do we, to our survival. How do we survive? Right. I thought it was interesting how he says there's no society in general, but there's only specific social structures. Mm. And he goes on to say that the members of the society or and or the various classes or status groups within it have to behave in mm-hmm. such a way as to be able to function in the sense required by the social system. Mm, Something true. that I've always thought about, you know, that um, we need to want to act as if we have to act. And I've thought about that when I've talked to you about, well, what if you want to be different? In, in our society, it's hard because you're molded into having to be this way along with everyone else, going back to your point about survival. So we're all kind of in the same boat. So mm-hmm. how do you break out of that? If you break out of that, you're going to be the only one standing there pretty much right. the way our society is structured right now. You know? Yeah. I love this. And I mean, you know, he, he's, he also says in here that the point of the social character is to really mold and channel the human energy within the society yes. for the purpose of the continuing continued functioning of the society. So that's what part of the role of the social character is for, because like the society needs to continue. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it has to do whatever it has to do for the, you know, this is kind of judgmental, but for the good or the bad, right. To mm-hmm. get them to want to act the way that they have to act. And so this was quite enlightening to think about this and read the, um, what's on the next page because it was like blew me away. I was like, oh, so that's why uh, society is not set up to empower us to, you know, be ourselves and think critically. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that I think that's an excellent point. We have to be molded into someone who's eager to do these things, right? And then if you look at modern industrial society, I mean, you have to have a system that you got to get up early, you got to go to work, you got to be productive. So it's creating that environment that, you know, you're you're thinking that you want to do that when really, I don't know that we want to do that, but we've got a system 
that is making us believe that we want to do that. Yes, yes. I love this. He says it is a function of the social character to shape the energies of the members of society in such a way that their behavior is not a matter of conscious decision as to mm -hmm. whether or not to follow the social pattern. Well, damn, no wonder it's so hard to get in touch with our authentic <laughs> selves and know what we really want to do. We've not been trained that way, have we? But no. of wanting to act as they have to act. And this is so interesting. He goes on to say that modern industrial society, for instance, could not have attained its ends. So we couldn't be where we are today if it had not harnessed the energy of free men for work mm -hmm. and in an unprecedented degree. I want to read the next part, but if you want to throw something in there, go ahead. No, 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 go. Yeah. Okay, man had to be molded. This is what made me go, oh my God, earlier. Into a person who was eager to spend most of his energy for the purpose of work. <laughs> who acquired discipline, particularly particularly orderliness and punctuality to a degree unknown in most other cultures. Yeah, I don't think hunter-gatherers push themselves this hard. No. I mean, I think it's really created in us. I mean, I can say for myself, yeah, it's part of like kind of almost innate. Like I've just, we've been in this in this society that pushes you to be this way, right? So when you not being that way, then you're like, well, then how can I be, you know, because everything around you is that way, right? With the things about punctuality, orderliness, discipline, we know, you know, right. That's sort of like mantras in our society. You know, and it's something that listeners, if you've been listening for a while since we started, it was a struggle. I think Sonia and I both had for a little while. I definitely, I know I definitely had it right at the beginning of the pandemic because mm -hmm. I was unemployed, had just come yeah. on the campaign trail. And I'm like, who am I? Like, I don't have a job. Like, I don't think I'm valuable. And that tells you right there, molded into a person who is eager to spend most of his energy for the purpose of work. Yeah. I mean, you go. I don't know mo many people. I'm becoming one of them. <laughs> but I don't know many people who are not eager to spend most of their energy for the purpose of work. Do you? No. No. And it and people look at you funny because yeah, <laughs> they're it's like, just, yeah, absolutely. You spend all your energy on work. Why? I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, go ahead. No, no, no. Super good. I, I, I learned something though in this chapter because, you know, we were talking about how the survival thing, the economics of survival, and that's important. But Frome also goes on to say that it's not just our economics that drive us, that we have other motivating forces within mm -hmm. us that we need to, um, it's not just the task of survival is what he's saying. That there's more, it's, it's not just the physiological, but your psychic. Yes. It is also, we also need to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think this is what you're touching on. The two poles that mold mm -hmm. the character is this kind of what you're talking about, mm -hmm. uh, where he says, <clears throat> we speak only of one pole and the interconnection between social organization and man. Mm -hmm. uh, and speaking of the socioeconomic structure, the other pole is man's nature, his psychic needs, right? Molding in turn the social conditions in which he lives. So he talks about we have the socioeconomic structure, which is a strong indicator, uh, influencer, uh, controller even of man's social character. And then we also have man's nature, which is a part of that as well. I would say, based on my experience within our society, not as strong as the socioeconomic, but certainly present. Mm -hmm. One can't ignore that it's present. 
Yeah, I mean, and the part that was interesting is that he's saying we're not like blank sheets of paper. Mm -hmm. um, that also the need to strive for happiness and harmony, love and freedom are also inherent in our nature. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that was very, very interesting. Yeah. When we think about what, you know, how do, how are we moving forward as, as a species? Right. And, and he says, talking about <clears throat> like the examining the interaction between our human nature, right. And the nature of the external conditions under which we live. So I think we have to take both of those things into into uh, consideration as we're thinking about who we are and who we are as a social group. And um, I think right now we don't even consider the physiological, the human nature. We just think about our socioeconomic, you know? Right, right. No, no, that's a good point. I think the other, and the other part that he touches upon here is that the, the character structure is molded by the role which the, or the individual has to play in his culture, contradicted by the assumption that a person's character is molded in his childhood. He's okay. asking that question. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty interesting because I thought it was fascinating because the fact is, your childhood is affected, obviously, by your, you know, family, but your family is coming from the culture. Right. Whatever the culture has taught the family, they're going to teach you that as a child. I love that. And you simplified it really well because he, he, he just like, you know, starts that section by saying, well, wait a minute. Is it the society that, you know, impacts children and people and, and how they develop or is it the family? Well, mm -hmm. it's, it's easily it's easily both because as if the parents are not uh, affected uh, by society and, you know, culture of, of society, culture within society. And that doesn't play a role in the way that they raise and train their kids. Of course it does. I mean, think about the books, what we talked about earlier, like with the, you know, the trucks, you know, with boys and the different stories with boys who really are not um, involved right. in a lot of emotional yeah. relationships. Right. Yeah, and there's this paragraph, I'm going to read it because it's so good. In addition to the character of the parents, the methods of childhood training, which mm. are customary in a culture, also have the function of molding the character of the child in a socially desirable direction. Yeah. What, yeah. what I thought was interesting is I don't think people realize, you know, like imagine a neighborhood and, you know, because you do the nanny thing and the mothers are talking, oh, you do this, I do this, like everybody's doing the same thing and you're getting validated by what you're doing, even if what you're doing isn't good, right? Mm -hmm. Because everybody around you, and you're wanting to fit into your social environment, you want to be accepted. So I guess if, you know, this woman's doing it and this father's doing it, you know, it's again, the society wow. telling us how to do what we're, well, we really don't have a manual. Right. We don't have a manual to do that, you know? Right. So I just think it's interesting how much, I'd never thought about that the social character mm. of society is really influencing. I mean, he's, well, he's that's, super smart. We know that. That's a good point, Sonia. Like, that's so good about how much what other people are doing are, in, like, impact and put pressure, I think, on parents <clears throat> and us as a society. It's especially because there's not a rule book, you know, Yeah. how to do it. It makes me wonder if this is part of why Eric Fromm didn't have kids, which 
Um, you know, we talked a little bit about Eric Fromm's biography mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. the last episode, and it is something that I wanted to know because I was like, damn, I want to date somebody like him. Is his kid <laughs> like him? And of course, he doesn't have no kids. So that's that's a sad thing. But I think um, this is another reason why, to be honest with you, I think I personally would have a really hard time having kids in this society because mm-hmm. I'm going to have to train them in the way that they can function well in this society. And I don't, I gotta be honest, I don't know if I really want to do that. You know, I hear you. I think, I think not knowing, but I think from, this is my guess and not knowing we read a lot about his biography. I think he contributed to the world. He was able to really give of himself. Like he left his home country. He Mm. had more than one marriage. He learned about loving, you know, we wrote the art of loving. So one would have to think if he had children, you know, unfortunately, this is star society, then he would not maybe have had the energy or as much been able to give as much. I don't know. Just throwing that out there because, you know, it would have been a different, different experience. Not saying that he wouldn't have written books and been able to contribute, but Mm. it would have been different. And, And we don't know the personal story. Maybe the women he was with weren't able to have children or maybe they I don't know the whole story there, you know. Right. I just know that he, I think, with all his experiences, was able to show us um, a lot of insight into, you know, psychology, sociology, the world. Yeah. I love that idea that, you know, he really was able, maybe was able to contribute even more to us Mm -hmm. than he would have been able to, likely, if he had had kids. Yeah, maybe. That's, you know, that's an interesting thought. And I think it's likely true. But I do think that there's a really good point here. Um, The function of molding the character of the child in a socially desirable direction. Yeah, that's a that can be stressful, I think, for parents. Well, I think it would be stressful for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like a kind of keeping up with the Joneses, kind of, you know. Right. And he talks about, yeah, is this, what, what's desirable and necessary in any given culture? Because obviously the idea parents want is that their ch- children to succeed, whatever that is. You know, it's a very um, subjective word, but that's kind of what you hear. And right. so if you're in a culture that's saying you have to acquire, you have to, as we know, we're in this acquisitive culture. You have to go to the best school. You have to get the best job. You have to get stuff, stuff, stuff. so that's going to be a message a child learns really early on I think yeah yeah and I mean I I'm I definitely am not a fan of like even the word sorry about that no worries uh the word child training like I hate that because I I, you know I I've been in education right and for a while years ago I would have thought yeah we need to train children and I'm like no I need to like garner a child's you know sense of self and their curiosity and their intellect and their love of learning and you know what i'm saying like it's totally yeah, and, and ideally you'd want to foster in each child what they bring you know whatever yeah. those gifts are because we know every person is different right but unfortunately that doesn't always happen well and we're talking about why because yeah you can't because society says oh this is a, a free man who uh, needs to work. He needs to be, har- his energy needs to be harnessed for work <laughs> so he can survive, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. 
it just doesn't work like that. All right. So the last little section we're going to talk about is um, where he begins to talk about the structure of capitalism um, and the character of man. And he goes into, he's kind of takes some of the history of capitalism here, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And he starts out with 17th and 18th, 18th century capitalism. So that's what we're going to um, talk about now. I just want to make sure this last part isn't something that I want to mention before we jump to that. The socioeconomic conditions of modern industrial society, which create personality of modern Western man are responsible for the disturbances in his mental health required mm -hmm. understanding of those elements specific to capitalistic mode of production of an acquisitive society mm -hmm. in an industrial age. Okay. So he's just saying um, we need to examine the conditions um, because they do impact our mental health the conditions of our socioeconomic structure, basically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I learned something too with the, when he starts getting into the 17th and 18th century capitalism, he, he actually lists the features of what those are. Oh, yeah. But what is so interesting is how um, this whole idea, well, actually he goes back, I'll tell you that right. he explains that technique and industry were in the beginning compared with the development in the 19th and 20th centuries. And second, that at the same time, the practices and ideas of medieval culture, which uh -huh. that was new to me, still had a considerable influence on the economic practices of this period. Well, he's going to explain that. I'll explain it more simply for the audience. Yeah. So when we think about, you know, buyers and sellers, a lot of times a person's trying to get the cheapest price, you know, so that they can turn around the supplier, get, and they're bartering so that they can turn around and sell it, you know, yeah. for a higher price. But what happens when you have one group or one company do that and you have others that can't play in that field, then this one guy who kind of screws everybody else out of it by, you know, he has more production, right. makes it unfair. In, in cultures past, like in the medieval, you weren't supposed to do that. That was really looked at as a covetous man, meaning yeah. you're trying to get more of your share. And yes. that was interesting because that's something that today we'd say, oh, good for him. He's able to get it at a cheaper price and turn around and sell it higher. But that wasn't a norm yep. in medieval times. So I found that was interesting. Like an, yes. uh, this underselling practice has grown to such a shameful height that particular persons publicly advertise that they undersell the rest of the trade. He, he takes language right out of the 17th. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, right? 1731. Yeah. I love this point. I want to say hey to Chris Alexander. I saw your message. I saw there. that. Thank hey, you. Chris. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, it's it's interesting because um, in 17th and 18th century capitalism, it was a no-no. You don't do that. You, If you do that, uh, i.e., you know, basically making your clothing or your item a little bit cheaper and cutting out the middleman, you're damaging your community of businesses more than you are really gaining. Yeah. You know I mean, and so yeah. it's really like a shitty thing to do. It was supposed to be unchristian and unethical for one merchant to try to lure customers from another by force of lower prices or any other inducements. There you go. There you there go. Me. Because yeah, that says it, that says it well. So capitalism started out. It sounds like Sonia on a pretty decent with, with some boundaries, like with yeah, bound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. not, not unfettered, like winner take all, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. That kind of thing. Hmm. No, that that's true. And I didn't have that, you know, history. So that's 
it's interesting to see how the evolution is going to come when he's when we're going to go through the centuries here. We're starting with the 17th and 18th. I know we'll get to the 19th eventually. Mm-hmm. He says in the fifth edition of uh, the Complete English Tradesman from 1745. It is stated that since the death of the author Defoe in 1731, oh, did you read this already? This yeah. underselling practice has grown to such a shameful height that particular persons publicly advertise that they undersell the rest of the trade. I mean, that was not cool. And he, he says the Complete English Tradesman fifth edition cites a concrete case in which an, quote, overgrown tradesman who had more money than his competitors and thus not forced to use credit, bought his wares directly from the producer, transported them himself instead of through a middleman, sold them directly to the retailer, enabling the latter to sell the materials for, for one, one penny cheaper per, yeah. for, per yard. So it was really, really shitty, you know. Um, yeah. So I think that it's interesting, too, that you touched on the common the features of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Touch on that really quick. Um, the existence of politically, legally and legally free men. We got to have that in order to have capitalism. And you have to have the fact that free men um, sell sell their labor to the owner of capital on the labor labor market and by contract. And then you need the existence of the commodity market as a mechanism by which prices are determined. And you need the principle that each individual acts with the aim of seeking profit for himself. Now, you may not blink an eye at this last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a big part of a value system that we hold within a capitalistic society. And once I think we'll see once we start talking about 19th century capitalism is that that becomes more important than the whole and yes. the good of the whole. Right. And I think um, this other part is really interesting that he says during this century that the most important uh, was the principle that society and economy exist for man, not man for them. Mm. And so no economic progress was supposed to be healthy if it hurt any group within society. We don't do that today. Um, so that I thought was interesting. Uh, yes. It just tells you that the social balance had to be preserved. And I would say that now it's winner take all. It's winner take all now. And it's not about profit at all costs, who cares who gets hurt you know, whatever, whatever, there was a care for the community within the context of capitalism. To me, I think that's okay. That's cool. That's the kind of capitalism I can. Yeah. I think what you meant to say, Lacey, or I was saying now it's winner take all. Oh, sorry. Sorry. (laughs) But then the way you said it, you explained it. Yeah. Okay. Just to clarify. No, I'm good. So then it was in a way that like they cared about anything they cared about things other than just their bottom line and their profit mm-hmm. and then becoming rich. And they judged people pretty harshly if that was their goal and they didn't care about mm-hmm. the whole, the good of the whole. So, yes. yeah, I think it's very um, refreshing to hear that that was uh, the case at some point in some ways, because uh, it's nice to know that it hasn't always been, you know, very right. Like, winner take all kind of thing. Right. I was going to say, I'm not, I'm not trying to idolize uh, certain centuries of our history, but what I think is good for um, the listeners is to see how we've evolved Mm. with how capitalism, you know, began and then where we've taken it to the extreme, which I think, well, I know many people agree, others don't, but that's the purpose of discussing this. 
Right. Well, and I think this is the thing that I really resonate with. You know, um, the principle that society and economy exist for humans, for us, mm-hmm. not us for it. Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing that I think, um, you know, we want to shift back to. At least I know I do. Agree. Yes. Totally agree. Well, we appreciate all of you being here with us. I uh, hope you enjoyed our uh, episode today. Check this book out, Eric Fromm, The Sane Society. That's what we're discussing, season two. Appreciate you being here with us. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll see you next time on the Rethinking Humanity podcast. Bye, guys. Bye.